0: Hello, and welcome back to the Honors Pod. My name is Carter Sheehan, and I'm very excited for you to be listening again. And today in the studio, we have with me a fellow junior student here at Trinity Christian College, Tony Rettman. How are you doing today?
1: Good. Glad to be here. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you. So the reason I have Mr. Rettman here in the studio today is because he got the opportunity to present a paper at a regional honors conference in Illinois. Probably something not most of us could say. So I was very excited when I heard this to get on the email and ask of, hey, I got to have you in the studio today. So I'm very excited to be talking with you about this. Um, could you introduce yourself a little bit and then we can talk about the paper?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Tony Rettman. I'm a uh, junior English major uh, from around the area. Um, and I, for a class last year, read Frankenstein. I'd read it before, but without a lot of the kind of insights that the English program's given me, and I found myself drawn towards different elements of it than I had before. Uh, We had to write a paper, and I decided I wanted to write the paper on Frankenstein, and particularly how it was structured. So everyone knows a bit about Frankenstein, Everyone knows the story itself from pop culture, from Halloween, um, but it takes actually reading the book to know that the story everyone knows is only letters that get sent to, um, from a one character to another character. And I was really interested on what that character relationship was like. What Walton, who is sending the, le- is sending the letters, um, writes about to Margaret, who receives the letters.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's kind of it seems like it's a super like broad eagle eye view way to view it because you know when we when we think of Frankenstein, like you said, we already have these preconceived notions based on just pop culture and media. But like looking back to see like it was written in such a strange perspective, one mm-hmm. we usually don't see today, that there there was obviously a reason for that to happen. So you got into this a little bit, but you know based on you know this this type of perspective, and you being interested in looking into it. For those who haven't read us, tell us a little bit about your findings in this paper.
1: Sure. Um, so I found that that structure, that kind of weird way the weird way the letters are um, organized, was more like um, books that I had read for Professor Sierra's class, um, a modernist twentieth century literature, uh, rather than. That time, which was nineteenth century, um, and I found that it was different in specific enough ways that I could begin to articulate it, and I could begin to find ways that um, the characters were linked more towards the modernist era than the time that Shelley was was writing it. Mm-hmm. So I thought that it'd be interesting to see Frankenstein not as a product of its time which it still is, but as a book that pushes forward.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. A very unique perspective on it, I'd say. So you answered this question a little bit, but if there's any other thing you want to add to it, kind of what inspired you to write on this topic specifically?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I found myself being drawn towards how things are written, why they're written, and um, what stories they tell. And I found that Frankenstein is, there's so much of a narrative that we don't talk about Mm -hmm. that I wanted to kind of dig into that and to figure out, so what can we learn from something that we don't quite hear every day?
0: Yeah, and that's a powerful point you bring because when I was reading this paper myself, I found there were a lot of points you had brought up and themes that I just really hadn't even thought of before and just took looking Mm. at it, it from this, you know, this point of view perspective to really, you know, see these things. So kind of thinking on that, I saw a lot of themes that you had mentioned specifically regarding feminism, identity and uncertainty, those three specifically. So do you think that these themes that the book addresses like in the way that it addresses them, do those still resonate today and to what capacity?
1: I think that life today would be um, different if these kinds of questions had not been asked in this kind of way. Um, the kind of feminism that um, the book is talking about is first wave feminism, which is talking about the right to vote, uh, more social equ- more, more political equality, um, and I don't think we could have feminist dialogue or conversation today without that basis. Mm-hmm. Um, even things like identity or an uncertainty, which you talk about, um, they factor into daily life. Uh, how many songs, how many movies, how many uh, books tell us nowadays who we can be and who we should be? Mm-hmm. Um, Frankenstein. Tells us that in a in a different way, but in a way that sets that ground for us, um, and even uncertainty. <laughs> things about things have become a lot uncertain in the last two <laughs> years. Really uncertain. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but what that um, shows us is more of a um, continuing uncertainty. That it's 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 always been this way. That the uncertainty we feel today isn't necessarily all that different from what Shelley had been experiencing. Just grounded in the same kinds of things.
0: Yeah. There's a lot a lot of these themes, they they're very present in culture today. And when Shelley was writing on them, they were kind of just like bubbling in the underground, I guess you could call it. So it's kind of like a precursor to like how we now see these themes. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Ahead of our time. So, do you believe, since these kind of are like very like, is it, I mean you had to write a whole paper on like digging <laughs> for these themes, do you believe that Shelley's words would have been regarded differently if she was more like blatant with these feminist and uncertainty ideological themes?
1: So Shelley's mother, uh, Mary Shelley's mother, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, I'll just call her Mary Wollstonecraft because that's easier to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, was a uh, very big, very prominent um, proto-feminist thinker. So she began to think about the ways that education and politics impacted women and that women could impact those things. There's a 19th century debate about what the role of women should be in politics and education, um, and Wollstonecraft spoke into that. Shelley was deeply impacted by her mother's writings, even though she never really met her,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that impact—that um, impact is seen in how Shelley talks about it. It's enough under the surface that um, Shelley is more subversive in the way she she treats it, but I th- I think she normalizes it rather than. Um, the way her mother did, which is to to set it out as this this goal or this um, this this prominent focus. There's always a a uh, 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 a line about how philosophers will talk about um, the 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 deepness of life and the the involvedness of life, and <laughs> authors and and literary figures kind of write about life. They mm-hmm. talk about what happens. So. I think that um, other books have talked about feminism more directly, but I think it's a it's a focus of Shelley's, but without being the primary focus. I think that's what makes it important.
0: Yeah, so kind of adding on to that, would you believe it's like a more digestible way to approach these themes than her mother Wollstonecraft attempted Oh for it? sure.
1: It's easier and more more palatable for some people who don't who wouldn't necessarily agree with it right away. And it's something that makes it easier to digest. You don't need to read a whole tract; you can just read a story.
0: Yeah, I don't know why this is coming to my mind specifically, but I'm thinking kind of like how like the relationship of like Veggie Tales to non-Christians, <laughs> kind of like a similar thing there. I'm kind thinking, of a similar yeah. thing there, yeah. <laughs> All right, but um, just one more thing to kind of press into. Uh, obviously we had mentioned that you had presented this paper at a conference, it was the Honors Conference mm-hmm. Illinois Regional, correct? Mm-hmm. So kind of what was your experience like presenting this? Tell us, tell us the story about that.
1: So um, when I first thought about presenting this paper, it was talking with Professor Hendrickson at the end of um, last fall's course. I didn't quite know what to do with it then, um, but Professor Hendrickson highlighted some themes and some important ways that I could expand the paper and that I could um, revise the paper. And I thought, well, I think I value this work enough, and I I think I'm uh, invested enough in this work to do this. But if I do it, I want there to be something else it's going towards. Mm -hmm. I don't just want to correct some things in Google Docs and then just leave it to rot. What I want to do is I want to show what's going on and what I'm thinking, and I might as well reach out and f- reach out for places for it. Professor Matson sent out an email um, to some of the honors students with a list of uh, conferences. Or I think it was just this one this time, but um, had mentioned that this conference go- this conference was going on, and so I thought I might look into it. So, I ended up writing and sending in sending in an abstract, and then a few weeks later, um coming back and doing the more formal work of um typing up and revising and re-researching some things. Um and the day of the conference itself, which I'm sure you're you're most most, uh, most thinking about, <laughs> um was online. Mm-hmm. So, I got up and um was able to sit in on, on a few other sessions, but ended up presenting my paper as a um, a group of four in a literary arts panel talking about a play, a poet, and another novel. My own idea was that I would read it through and kind of pause to to offer commentary or kind of interaction with it as, as necessary. Um, But I found it to be easier than I'd expected it to be. Um, I read through the paper and kind of digested it and um, put it out there for people to to take in. Mm -hmm. And at the end um, of the four presentations, there were a few questions about um, how we, with our respective lenses and our respective books um, or works, were able to think about the purpose of authors, the purpose of literature um, and I found it to be really stimulating just to be in in a sense of community with three people I had never known um,
0: online nonetheless <laughs> Online nonetheless yeah uh,
1: <laughs> Zoom is not great for community but <laughs> in this case it was um, I found that I was able to... Um, listen to people and to kind of position my own work within um, what's going on other places too. So we do, we do our own work here. We, we turn in papers for classes, but um, we're doing valuable work that is, uh, that's being done and mirrored and all across the world. So I found that to be my biggest takeaway
0: yeah that's powerful and i don't think we could say something any more profound than that at the moment (laughs) that sounds like a great (laughs) concluding statement from you so thank you again tony for dropping by the studio much appreciated and i had a good conversation today
1: of course thank you for thank you for letting me
0: of course and thank you all for listening uh we really appreciate it every week so thanks for dropping by make sure to tune in next week Listen more, learn more, live more.